It is a deep pleasure for uh, Vicki and I to be with you today and next Sunday uh, as you journey through this time of transition, uh, as you uh, look for a new minister, as uh, Phil Ware works with you and the IMP Interim Ministry Partners uh, work with you. Uh, I work with IMP out of the Cyber Institute. We collaborate together with churches and uh, transitions across the country, and so it's just a joy for me to be here uh, for Phil today and next, next, uh, next Sunday. Well, when Phil asked me to speak, he said, come up with uh, whatever you want to preach. He's working on a theme. And so some weeks ago, I decided I would do some work out of 2 Corinthians. We've heard that text a few moments ago. But I've got to tell you that uh, the events of this past week have caused me to uh, want to, to reframe this text a little bit. Is this one hot? I've got a green light but that may not mean anything. Test again. Okay. Um, since I, I'm, I'm op, apt to stand over here or over there or someplace else besides the pulpit. Uh, the, the events of this past week uh, that have rocked our nation from Louisiana to Minnesota, of course, to Dallas, Texas, to the Big D, uh, cannot not be addressed. Our national uh, heart is grieving right now in the trouble that exists in our country, in our cities, among peoples. Uh, the troubled nature of things, uh, I think, need to be set out in front of us just a bit. And I think this text speaks to us in some real, real ways. I think primarily because uh, as, as human beings, as we find ourselves faced with trouble, and it comes in all kinds of ways, whether it's in national conversations or whether it's in our own personal little journey in life. Uh, trouble is real and it's present. As human beings, we're going to have to deal with trouble in some way or another. And sometimes that trouble can be incredibly intense and immense, and we don't hardly know what to do with it. Hey, do you remember the movie some years ago, Forrest Gump? I think 1993, so I'm going back a few years. Tom Hanks movie? There's a great scene in that film where Jenny, his girlfriend, has been off on one of her wild jaunts, and she comes back, a troubled young woman, and she and Forrest go out to her old home place. And there, as she looks at the old house that now is empty, the roof is caved in, the porch is falling apart, and all of Jenny's trouble, her abused childhood, a father who abused her, and alcoholism, and so much more, all of it just boils up out of her in that moment. She takes her shoes off and throws them at the house. She reaches down and finds rocks and throws them at the house. Dirt clods and everything else she can find until she finally collapses in a heap on the ground. And then there's that moment when Forrest leans down to her and says, sometimes, Jenny, there's just not enough rocks to throw. It's a tender moment. And I think most of us in our lives have found ourselves in that place where we just don't know what else to do. We come to kind of to the end of things. It's that kind of trouble that I'm speaking of that's a part of our life. And what I find interesting about this text 
that was read for us a moment ago is that Paul understands that kind of life as well. He says, we're afflicted in every way. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're struck down. And time after time, we hear him speaking about the sorts of things that we ourselves experience. But what I find striking about this is that Paul has something else he says. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He says, we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. He says, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And it calls on me to ask the question, how is it that Paul can be this way when we struggle so much with our hurt and our trouble and our stuff that we deal with in our life and in our communities and in our nation? How is it? What, what makes the difference? And how could we navigate that? We long to navigate it, but we don't know quite how to navigate it. I found it striking in this morning's New York Times, there was a piece, several pieces, about the shooting in Dallas. And it was reported in this morning's Times, this from the mayor of Dallas, Mike Rawlings, who visited the police headquarters on Saturday, yesterday. He told reporters this, and I'm quoting him. He says, we're all human here, and I think that people feel each other's pain. And that's what makes it great, that what makes you hopeful is that we can do this, that we can move from senselessness and absurdity that's like a Camus novel to something that has redemption and hope in it. And that's ultimately what we need to do. I think the mayor is right. The question is, how do you make that kind of move? How do you make the move from trouble and problems and conflict to hope and resolution? and maybe even resurrection. And as the people of God, the story that we're engaged in when we take bread and wine and we gather and worship and we read our scripture is a story that makes that kind of move. But how do we engage it? In what way do we engage it? Well, I think Paul has some words for us here. I read verses 8 and 9, but I need to back up to verse 7. Some of you are already with me on this. Paul gives us the secret. He tells us how we get there. He says it this way. He says, now we have this treasure in clay jars so that it might be clear that the transcendent power belongs to, help me out church, it belongs to God and not to us. Ah, here is where we find some traction. Here is how we find the way forward in all of this. The, he, he's using some imagery here that might be helpful for us to note. The imagery is of the kinds of pots and vessels that were used in the ancient world to cook with and hold and store things. They were just clay pots, simple, inexpensive clay pots. They were fragile. They broke quickly. And if they broke, it was no big deal. You just used pieces of them to write your grocery lists on. And uh, you toss them away. They're sort of like the Dixie Cups of the ancient world, right? You, you use them and you toss them away. In fact, I almost want to sing a chorus of Red Solo Cup. You fill me up this morning. Maybe we better not. Toby Keith, I'm sorry. But, uh, but they're, they're inexpensive, disposable, occasional. 
He's saying, look, we have to remember that we're just like an old clay pot, an old Dixie cup, because the real treasure, the real power and possibility lies with the power of God and not with us. There is the possibility. There is the way, the way forward. And the way forward helps us reckon with uh, the fact that all too often what we tend to do is we, in our tension and in the stress and in the middle of the trouble, think it all depends upon what we can do rather than what God can do. And all too often in that moment, what we want to do is try to fix the problem We focus on the problem, we tend to the problem, and not to the possibilities of what God wants to do in the middle of all that. Now, I've got a friend who lives in Indiana, where I spent 20 years of congregational ministry, an elder there in that church, uh, whose hobby was riding a bicycle. Now, I'm not talking about riding the bicycle down to the grocery store. I'm talking about riding 150 miles in a day and not even breaking a sweat kind of ride a bicycle. He was crazy, what I thought. Well, I asked Lynn one day, I said, how do you do that? He said, do what? Ride a bike. I, he said, well, I just get on it and ride. I said, well, what happens when you come up to a pothole or a chuck hole or a, a problem in the road? What do you, how do you get around that? He said, I said, if it was me, I'd run right into that pothole. And he says, well, it's simple, Carson. You don't look at the pothole. You don't look at the crack in the road. You look at where you want the tire wheel to go. Oh. See, I think all too often as human beings, we keep looking at the problem and not at the solution. We keep looking at the trouble and not at what God longs for and what God desires in our world. We keep looking at, oh, our worries and how they consume us instead of looking at the way in which God is at work in our world, bringing transformation and hope and love. Uh, we're too often looking at the troubles. You remember, you remember, uh, you remember old, uh, old Goliath? You know, the guy that played uh, middle linebacker for the Philistines. You remember that football team? And he would come down every day and holler up at the Israelite armies. Remember that? And everybody in the Israelite army was quaking in their boots. And all they could see was this big honking lineman. And, and not the possibility until little David showed up, little half-pint David, remember? And, and, and it's wonderful. You go back and read 1 Samuel 17. And to ask about this, David said, look, if God delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, then he's surely going to take care of me with that low, good, down-for-nothing Philistine. That's sort of a translation of that, what he said there. What's going, what was going on in David's mind? David did not see problems. He knew the Lord. He he understood where the power lay, not in himself, but in the work of God. So church, as as you wrestle with transition right now, as you long as you say goodbye to one minister and as you look forward to another, it's important to remember that God is the one that we focus on, not the loss. Or as we think about the conversations that are going on today, we have to think through what God is longing to do in our world, not the problem. We have to transfer our vision and remember that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. And 
in all of that, it's, it's hopeful and helpful, I think, to remember that somehow or another God uses brokenness to his own advantage. That, that uh, being a, a cracked pot in the kitchen of life, as I like to think about it, is an okay thing. That God can use us in our brokenness and in our trouble to do good things. That in fact, that's sometimes when he does his best work is when we're struggling with or wrestling with stuff. There's a story long told about a pot, actually a pot that was a part of two pots, that a servant long, long ago would carry up from the master's house down to the river in a far eastern country. The pot on one side uh, of a of a lodge pole that the, the servant would carry, a pot on either side. The, the one side here, this pot had a crack in it. And by the time the servant would gather up water at the bottom of the river and make its way up, his way up to the top to deliver water to the master's house, it would only be half full. And one day the pot cried out to the servant and said, I am so sorry. And the servant said, why are you so sorry? He says, well, by the time you get to the top of the hill, I only have a half a pot of water, you've worked so hard, and I've not been able to deliver what I need to give to you. And the servant said, you silly pot, haven't you noticed the flowers? The pot said, what flowers? The flowers along the way. No, I haven't noticed. And he said, well, notice this next time. You see, I knew that you were a broken pot. And I knew that I needed to have flowers for the master's table. So I planted seeds all along the roadway uh, of the path up from the river to the master's house and that you water them day after day. And sure enough, there were flowers growing along the way. You see, the brokenness of that pot gave rise to possibilities that in our brokenness, in our lives, in the brokenness that exists in our world are places where God still does work because the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. And that, I think, church, is a very hopeful thing. I'm very glad to bring that news to you that it belongs to God and not to us, and that the maker of all the earth and his work in the world can do powerful, powerful things if we'll just look for his work in our world. One more story, and then I'm going to close. Some years ago, 2004, I think it was, this was reported in the Atlantic Journal, a reporter by the name of David Hodge went to hear a famous jazz trumpeter by the name of Winston, Winton Marsalis. Anybody heard Winton play? I'm talking trumpet player extraordinaire. This guy is good. Well, Hodge went to hear him play in a little club down in some place in New York City, a little small club with Winton Marsalis and a small ensemble. The place was packed. The music was brilliant. In fact, as he was, the reporter was writing his review, he said it was just magic, magical. And then uh, Marsalis dismissed the band, and he played a solo ballad by himself, an old tune back in the 1930s. This will test you here. Uh, a song called, a ballad called, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. Now, I, I don't know, the only way I know how to get to that is Bing Crosby sang it back in the 40s, Okay. So somebody might remember that. Uh, I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. 
It was a beautiful ballad. It was so wonderful, all by himself on the stage. I don't stand, and as he finished up the tune, I don't stand a ghost of a chance. And before he could play the last two notes, a cell phone went off in the room. And of course, as when those happen, you guys have had this happen, right? You can't get it turned off in time. And so here's the guy struggling around in this nightclub, trying to get it stopped. And the place just breaks up. The guy finally gets out of the room. The audience is all a tither. Uh, but Marsala stands on the stage perfectly still. And finally, everybody gets dead quiet all over again. And then, note for note, in the middle of what was completely busted up, Marcellus plays, and the group just went, that was great. And then he plays it a little more. And then everybody starts to settle in because here's this master at work with this moment. He starts running arpeggios off of it and doing little rag tunes off of it. And he transitions into another key and plays with it a while. And then he into another key and plays with it a while. And then back into the key of and lands the last two notes of I don't stand the ghost of a chance with you. The place just erupts. And in that moment, David Hodge writes, this group had witnessed a master doing what masters do. Taking broken stuff and putting it back together in a way that is, was outstanding and unbelievable. And church, I've come here today to say, in the midst of your trouble and uncertainty and brokenness, and in the midst of the transitions going on in this church, and yes, in the midst of the national conversations and struggle and pain that we suffer, we serve a God who is the one who can, whose, whose specialty is taking brokenness and putting things back together. If only we will remember that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. Let's stand now and sing together. If we can help you in some way with your walk with the Lord, elders will be at the front and at the back to receive you. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you.